So Allah SWT says, Al-Hajj ashurun ma'lumat. That Hajj are the well-known months. فَمَنْ فَرَضَ فِيهِنَّ الْحَجِّ So if it takes on the obligation of performing Hajj, in other words, making the intention, going into Ihram, in those months of Hajj, فَلَا رَفَثَ وَلَا فُسُوقَ وَلَا جِدَالَ فِي الْحَجِّ Then let there be no رَفَث, obscenity or vulgarity. And especially when one is in Ihram, of course, even no intimacy. فَلَا رَفَثَ وَلَا فُسُوقَ no transgression or corruption. Not even any argumentation or confrontation on the hajj. And whatever good you are doing on this journey of hajj, Allah SWT knows about it. And gather up the provision. And indeed the best provision is Allah consciousness. Especially for this journey. So, mashallah, the hujjaj, when they fasted the month of Ramadan, that was the best preparation for hajj. Why? Because Ramadan, la'allakum tattaqoon, in order that you might shield yourselves from bad behavior. Because on hajj, if you want an accepted hajj, al-hajj al-maqbool, then you need to have what is called al-hajj al-mabroor. And what is mabrur? Ni maybruni. What is mabrur? Mabrur comes from the word bir. And what is bir? Righteousness. Qala sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al birru husnul khuluq. Righteousness is good behavior. Righteousness is good character. So literally, al hajjul mabrur is the well behaved hajj. And how does a believer behave well? By using the shield of taqwa to shield themselves from all types of behavior and from all types of characteristics and attributes that would bring upon them the displeasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is why Ramadan is the best preparation for, for hajj. وَتَزَوَّدُوا Take the provision for hajj. فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ زَادِ taqwa And indeed the best provision is this taqwa, the shield of Allah consciousness, being careful for Allah, before I say anything, before I do anything, before I engage with anyone, is Allah going to be pleased? If the answer is yes, bismillah. If the answer is no, may Allah forgive me for even thinking about it in the first place. Be on your best behavior, in other words. When you're on Hajj, be on your best behavior. Operate with the best character. Have the best akhlaq, the best attributes with one another. Because you can't perform Hajj on your own. You can't phone all the other people in the world and say, listen, I want to be alone around the Kaaba and I want to stand alone on Arafah. Not possible. Hajj is not an individual ibadah. It's a collective ibadah. So Allah brings us together to test us with each other. So it's all about behavior. It's all about tolerance. It's all about showing mercy and compassion and empathy. It's all about perseverance. That ayah that I love to quote from the Quran, Surah Al-Furqan number 20. 
please go and learn this ayah, the second half thereof, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَجَعَلْنَا بَعْضَكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ فِتْنَةً أَتَّصْبِرُونَ وَكَانَ رَبُّكَ بَصِيرًا And indeed, Allah has made you, some of you, a trial for others. Not everybody can be a trial for everybody. That's not possible. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so wished, he could make it possible, but he hasn't made it like that. But what he has made is that he has made some of us a trial for some of us. All the time. You are a trial for your spouse and they are a trial for you. You're a trial for your employer and as an employee, you're a trial for them. When we go on Hajj, subhanAllah, as Hujjaj traveling together, we are a trial for each other. We're a trial for the poor Askari, or the Ashgari as we call him here in Cape Town, standing under the hot sun. And now we are in August, going to be performing our Hajj at temperature perhaps between 50 and 55 degrees Celsius. Imagine standing all day in the hot sun. Ya Hajji, Ya Hajji, Tariq, Ya Hajji, Harrik, Ya Hajji, Harrik. Whole day, shouting at the top of your voice and the Hujjaj not paying attention to you. Allah is testing you as Al-Askari. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing those Hujjaj with that Askari. وَجَعَلْنَا بَعْضُكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ فِتْنَةً أَتَّصْبِرُونَ وَكَانَ رَبُّكَ بَصِيرًا and Allah has made some of you a trial for others. Will you not then persevere? And indeed, your Lord is ever watchful. Allah is testing the agent with this hujjaj. Every Muslim is according to his conditions of contract. The hajj has made a contract with the agent. He has to fulfill his promises. And likewise, Allah SWT is testing the hujjaj with the agent. Why? Because there's certain things that are out of his hands. And there's no use losing. So Salah said, Afrikaans say, Falua your iman. You lose your iman. And it's happened. You know, in the colloquial sense, in the hypothetical, metaphorical sense, where people don't get exactly what they want, and they lose it. They start swearing. They go berserk. And they spoil their hajj. Whereas they could have rather have waited and sorted it out when they came back home. Yes, they must still get their haq. And I say it every year. I say it every year. In front of the agent. Al-Muslimuna ala shurutim. Muslims are according to their conditions of contract. Whatever you've been promised, you must get it. But if it is out of the agent's hands to give it to you, or he made a mistake, or it was an oversight, then don't allow it to spoil your hajj. Rather wait till you get back home, and then he can recompense you, or whatever the case might be. So this is a journey of behavior. It is a journey of character. How we deal with one another. And it's a microcosm of how we are supposed to be living in the world. With each other. Wherever we might be coming from. And Allah SWT says, and proclaim the pilgrimage, O oh Abraham. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala narrates to us when he commanded our father, our patriarch, Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salam, to proclaim the pilgrimage. And Nabi Ibrahim wanted to know, but who's going to hear me? I mean, at one time, Kana Ummatan, he was a nation unto himself. There were no other believers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him, Alaykal adhan wa alayna al-balagh. You just give the adhan. You just make the call. Allah SWT has taken the responsibility for that call to reach those who will answer the call. 
Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they will come on foot. وَعَلَى كُلِّ ضَامِرٍ You know, when you read the hadith, which is in Sahih Muslim, of the Hajjatul Wada', the farewell pilgrimage. Well, we know our beloved Prophet ﷺ made Umrah four times. Once in Dhul uh, Qa'dah, besides the one that he made with his Hajj, Tamattu'an, so that's two. Also, the year following the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, and also after the Battle of Hunayn. After the battle of Hunayn. These are the four times that a beloved Prophet ﷺ made Umrah. But he only made Hajj once in his lifetime. And it had nothing to do with Sahuk or him getting a visa or not. And this is Rasulullah Khalqillah. So if you've only made Hajj once in your life, our beloved Prophet ﷺ also only made Hajj Hajj once in his lifetime. Salawatu Rabbi wa salamahu So Jabir ibn Abdullah who narrates the hadith, he describes that after the Prophet ﷺ, after they went to Dhul Hulayfa, and he performed his, went into the state of Ihram and performed his two raka'as of Sunnatul Ihram. Well, what is the sunnah? We first make the two raka'as and then we go into ihram with what? With the niyyah. If you are tamattu'an, if you are making umrah from Medina, for example, you're going into ihram at Dhul Hulayfa on the outskirts of Medina, you're going to say, Allahumma inni nawaitu al-umrata wa ahramtu biha lillahi ta'ala. You're going to go to Makkah, perform your umrah and then go out of ihram and wait until the eighth day of, of Dhul Hijjah when you will then go into ihram again but for hajj. So our beloved Prophet ﷺ did this. He, and don't get confused. There's a misconception. When people say they are going into ihram, they think more about the actual clothing than the state of being. Ihram is not an item of clothing or two pieces of clothing for the men. And something similar thereof in terms of its simplicity for the woman. Of course, a woman, they can wear stitched clothing, we can't. But the idea behind it, or the symbolism of it, is that the clothing that one wears in the, in the state of ihram is actually your kafang. That is what those items of, of clothing are. They represent the kafang. They represent a burial shroud. Because you can put on your kafang for hajj or for umrah. But if you don't make a niyyah, you'll never be in ihram. Even if you wear it for the whole year, you'll never be in ihram. Because ihram is a state of being. A forbidding state. That's what ihram is. It's a forbidding state. Like when you make salah, how do we go into ihram? Yes, when you make salah, you're in ihram. You are in ihram five times a day. Did you know that? You are in ihram five times a day, minimum. If you take the 17 raka'at of the salawat al-khams, if you just take the fara'id, the compulsory prayers, you are in ihram five times a day. How do you go into ihram? With the niyyah and takbiratul ihram. That's why it's called takbiratul ihram. No way to... And usalli 
Salat al-Zuhri, arba' raka'atin, mustaqbil al-qiblati, lillahi ta'ala, Allahu Akbar. Now you're in ihram. With that niyyah and that takbirah, you are now in a forbidding state. You are forbidden to now turn your body away from the qibla. Because then you would have invalidated your salah. You are forbidden to talk besides the adhkar of the salah, what is mentioned in the salah. You are forbidden from eating and drinking. You're in a forbidding state until you exit that ihram by saying, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Then you're out of ihram again. So you've got to understand the concept of ihram. Ihram is not the clothing. Ihram is a state of being. Now when you go into ihram for hajj or umrah, you cannot cut your hair. As a man, you cannot cover your head. As a man, you cannot cover your head. You cannot trim your nails. You cannot apply perfume, etc., etc., etc. We all know we're not speaking about the ahkam of hajj today. I want to go, as I mentioned in the first verse that I recited today, says, Be conscious of me. Be mindful of me. Be careful of me. Oh, those of you who reflect. Oh, those of you who reflect. Because Allah, in Cape Town, there's a tradition of studying Hajj for 20, 30, 40 years. Especially, mashallah, when you have Sis Khadija and Sis Asia that are making, mashallah, ku sisters every Sunday morning. And over 20 years, they've saved the money to go on Hajj. So for 20 years, they went and studied the Hajj. So when it comes to ahkam, mashallah, we need to know the Hajj. We need to know what is a rukun. What is fard. Because those two ahkam are synonyms when it comes to Hajj. When it comes to Hajj, wajib in all the other ibadat, according to the Jumhur, according to the majority of scholars. But in Hajj, wajib is something different. Because if you leave out a rukun or a fard, like al wukuf bi Arafah, like standing on Arafah, al mabit bi Mina, if you leave out something which is wajib, spending the night on Muzdalifa or spending the night of, on Mina on the Ayyam al Tashriq, on the three days of Tashriq of the pelting of the Jamarat, then you have to pay a dam. You can fix it, in other words. You can fix it. Yujbaru, yujbaru bid dam. It can be fixed with a dam. But if you leave out a fard or a rukun, you cannot fix it. So it's important. We need to learn what is a rukun. In other words, what is fard? What is wajib? What is sunnah? What is a sharp? What is a precondition? We need to go and learn those things. But not only those things. Because yes, for the validity of our hajj, we need to perform it correctly. And alhamdulillah, the issue is expensive. We have four schools of thought. And there is absolutely nowhere, not in the Quran or in the Sunnah, where we can find any dalil that prohibits a person from making taqlid. Let's say, for example, they are performing their hajj according to the mother of Al-Imam Shafi'i or the mother of al Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, or the mother of Al-Imam Malik ibn Anas, or the mother of Al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahmatullahi alayhim ajma'in. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala them all in his mercy. Ameen. If you might be following Al-Imam Shafi'i, but maybe you get lost. You get broken away from your group. You meet up with another group that's following another madhab. You end up with some Libyans, Libyan brothers and sisters. And they follow the Maliki madhab. 
Or you from South Africa, from Cape Town, you're following Imam Shafi, you end up with some brothers from Pakistan. And they are following the Hanafi madhab. But now you think, eh, you know, can I do what they are doing? No, my hajj is not going to be correct. Ma'adhallah, ishada. All the four madhahib are based on qala Allah wa qala Rasul salawatu rabbi salamu alayhi. And as the poet says, مَنْ قَلَّدَ إِمَامًا لَقِيَ اللَّهَ سَالِمًا Whoever follows one of the four will meet Allah in a good state. Especially on hajj. Especially on hajj. The last thing we need to be focused on is the nitty gritty, the technical aspects of following a specific madhab on hajj. Because the theme of hajj is at-taysir. What's the theme of hajj? Taysir. And it's proven in the sunnah. One sahabi came to the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I slaughtered before I cut my hair. He said, If'al wala haraj. Do it, no problem. The other one said, O Messenger of Allah, I cut my hair before I slaughtered. He said, If'al wala haraj. Do it, no problem. So we have the four schools of thought. The last thing you need to worry about is whether you have to stay on your madhab or make taqlid of one of the other imams in performing the rituals. Underline that word. The rituals of hajj. What's more important is us understanding the purpose of hajj. What is the purpose of hajj? Hajj mustn't just be something, okay, now you have perhaps, mashallah, uh, grown up as a Muslim in a Muslim home, or whether you've reverted to Islam, but now you are told that the pillars of Islam are five. Buni al-Islam ala khams. Shahadati Allah illa illallah wa anna muhammadan rasulullah wa iqam al-salah wa ita'i zakah wa sawmi ramadan wa hajj al-bayti man istata'i alayhi sabila. The fifth pillar of Islam to perform pilgrimage to the house, if you are able and by the means to do so. So you just think it, you think of it as something that you need to do and get done with. I'm a Muslim, just like I fasted Ramadan, I now need to, I need to go on Hajj. And some people, they think of it as, you know, Al-Tarakhi, Al-Tarakhi, Al-Imam Shafi is the one that says, you know, Al-Tarakhi, in other words, when you choose to go, Al-Imam Malik says, Huwa al-Fard al fawr that as soon as you have the ability, you have the money, you have the health, then it is compulsory to go, according to Imam Malik. The bottom line is, it shouldn't be something that you're thinking about on the side. If you understand what is the purpose of Hajj, Wallahi, you'll be thinking about it every day. Until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens for you the way. Think about it every day, until Allah opens for you the way to go and perform Hajj. If you truly understand what Hajj is all about. What is Hajj? Hajj means the goal, Al-Qasd. When you study the Bab, the chapter of Hajj in Fiqh, the first thing you will learn is that Hajj, Lughatan, literally means Al-Qasd. Al-Qasd. Qaf, Saad, Dal. Al-Qasd. Which means the goal. The goal. And then they will say, Istilahan, that Technically, what is Hajj? And taqsud Baytallahi al-Muharram. That your physical goal is to make pilgrimage to the house, to the sacred house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, where do we get our manasik? Where do we get the rights and obligations for performing that ritual of Hajj? Qala sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, khudhu anni manasikakum. Take from me the rights and obligations of performing the Hajj. So the physical destination, we know what it is. The sacred house of Allah, to stand on Arafah, spend the night on Muzdalifah, etc., etc. 
But the spiritual journey, quite simply, is a journey to Allah in this life in preparation for our journey to Allah in the hereafter. Do you want the essence? Do you want the bottom line, full stop? I'll give it to you. Hajj is a pre-run for death. Nothing else. Full stop. End of story. Hajj is a pre-run for death. Going back to what we mentioned earlier about the ihram. The ihram, the, what we wear when we are in ihram is a kafang. It's a burial shroud. The only difference between going on hajj and dying is that when you go on hajj, or umrah for that matter, you take your own ghusl and you put on your own kafang. Whereas when you die, la difa. You can't tell the tukka money when you're lying there on the on the, the ghusl, uh, in the ghusl khana. Somebody else washes you and somebody else covers you and shrouds you in your kafang. That's the difference between hajj and death. Let us look at surah al-hajj. Let's look at surah al-hajj. Yes, there's no surah al-salah, no surah al-zakah, no surah al-siyam, but there's a surah al-hajj. And in surah al-hajj, the first verse, what does Allah speak about? Does he speak about tawaf? No, no, no. Does he speak about uh, sa'i? No, no, no. Does he speak about uh, arafa? No, no, no. What does Allah speak about? Ya nas, taqu rabbakum, inna zalzalata sa'ati shayun azim. Yawma tarawnaha tazhalu kullu murdi'atin amma arda'at, wa tada'u kullu dhati hamlin hamlaha, wa taranasa sukara, wa ma hum bi sukara, walakinna azab Allahi shadid. Sadaqallahul azim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O mankind. First verse of Surah Al-Hajj. O mankind. Ittaqu. Ittaqu rabbakum. What does that mean? Shield yourselves from the displeasure of your Lord. Be careful of Allah. Be mindful of Allah. Be conscious of Allah. Indeed, the shaking of the hour is most severe. The day when you see it, every woman that is suckling her child will abandon that child and every woman carrying a child will miscarry that child and you will see mankind intoxicated but they are not intoxicated but the punishment of Allah is severe so what's Allah speaking about he's speaking about qiyamah the first verse of surah al-hajj because hajj is all about preparing for qiyamah and there are two types of qiyamah al-qiyamah to sughra we have the minor qiyamah and the major qiyamah. We all know the major qiyamah. What is that? Do they not think that they're going to be resurrected for a great day? The day when mankind will be standing up. The day when mankind will be standing up in the grandest courtroom in front of the highest judge Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be judged on the day of judgment. That is al-qiyamatul kubra. That is the major qiyamah, the major judgment. But the minor judgment is when? قال صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا مات ابن آدم فقد قامت قيامته. If mankind dies, if mankind passes away, 
leaves this dunya, then his judgment is established. That is the minor qiyamah. What is it? Death. Death is the minor qiyamah. And hajj is a preparation for both. It's a pre-run for death. Just think of the symbolism of the ihram. Or what we're going to be wearing in our state of ihram. The kafang, the burial shroud. And please, for those of you who haven't purchased your kafang yet, please don't buy a brand name kafang. Just like nobody cares in the maqbara who has got a Giorgiani of Danavici or I don't know whatever, Ichi. Oh, wallah, I'm not joking with you. If you go into the Zamzam Towers, there is a shop at the bottom. Uh, after the Saha, after the court, which is, you know, that quadruple or how many floors volume high. If you go just a little bit further on your right hand side, you will see na name branded ihram. You know, sort of like uh, embroidered on the side of the ihram. La hawla wa la quwata illa Mr. Khalant, what is that? Name branded ihram? Well, they didn't even. We've completely misunderstood the purpose of wearing an ihram in the first place. What are we doing when we take off our normal clothes with our brand naming articles of clothing and our fancy jewelry and our expensive atar, etc., etc.? And this is so important to be mindful of when you're on hajj. Because it's very easy nowadays. I think performing hajj in the old days was easier. It was easier. What is he speaking about now? Easier. And you had to uh, take a boat for how many months? You know? And then you take a, a, a big uh, trunk with. And uh, you're on the boat for how many days or, or months for that matter? I know there was uh, the pandanus and the karanja. And I'm sure many of you, mashallah, in your time, you actually went down to the docks and greeted the, uh, the hujaj as they, as they made that, that wonderful journey, subhanallah. Why do I say hajj was easier then? Because hajj is the goal. And because of the difficulty, because of the discomfort, because of the hardships, they arrived at the goal easier than what we do. We travel in fancy airplanes, chicken or beef, you know. <laughs> there you've got a whole long list of the latest Taqfirullah Hollywood movies, you know. And it's so, mashallah, when he was at home, when he was at home and they were making the adhan, they were making the adhan and he was leaving the house and he, the tears were flowing and everybody was so spiritual and he just gets onto the airplane and there, what is he faced with? Chicken, beef and Hollywood. Then he lands there in uh, Jeddah, mashallah, and, uh, or lands in Medina, and he goes straight to, mashallah, a four or five star hotel. Who lives in a four or five star hotel here in, at home in Cape Town? We go live in a four or five star hotel. We eat every day, mashallah, from the buffet. Allahumma inni a'udhu become in sharril buffet. That's the dua that I, I, I recommend you make when you go to the buffet. Wallah, I seek refuge in thee from the evil of the buffet. And uh, we are surrounded by the bright lights and by the uh, laser light show on top of the clock tower and uh, all the expensive name brand shops and the latest watches and the latest TVs and the latest this and that. And then people get distracted. And they forget why they are there. They're supposed to be preparing to die. That's why you need to understand the hadith correctly. When, and this is narrated by Imam Ahmad. 
Authentic hadith where our beloved Prophet Muhammad said, Man arad al hajj fal yata'ajjal. Whoever wants to go on hajj, then make haste. Whoever wants to go on hajj, then make haste. Don't wait. No, 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 it's for the Phuket of Paris, or we want to go to, uh, to Spain, or we want to go here and there. Yes, you can travel. Allah says, go out in, in, in the earth. But first, go to Makkah. And please don't let me, you know, I've often heard over the years, people say, I'm not ready to go on Hajj. Wallahi, there's no such thing. Hajj will make you ready for life, and more importantly, it will prepare you for death. So don't play around. Don't waste. Why must you make haste? Because we're all going to die, and Hajj is the best preparation for death. And that is why, like I say, in the old days it was easy, you know, get to Makkah, I mean, I love to listen to the stories of the old people, you know, those who made, those who made um, subhanAllah, those who made uh, hajj in the 40s and the 50s. And uh, in fact, years ago, I met uh, some of our elders in our community that made hajj in the 20s and the 30s when there was no electricity in Makkah. There was no electricity. You know, and, and how the Arabs, they used, to, they used to throw water on their beds and then the bed is wet and then they sleep. On the bed, and then when they wake up, it's dry. Why? Because, you know, there was no air conditioners. So in those times, when we were basically separated, we made takhliya. You see, when it comes to spiritual reformation, Al-Imam Al-Ghazali, Hujjatul Islam, Abu Hamid Al-Ghazali, he says you must make takhliya qabal al-tahliya. You have to empty your cup. You have to empty your vessel before you can refill it. So if you have a vessel... But that which is in the vessel is impure. It's tainted. What must you do? You have to throw it out. In fact, we are so, uh, you know, mashallah, you know, Muslims of Cape Town are very, you know, al-kadakh is eight You know, we love cleanliness to the degree where we will still rinse out the bucket, you know, before we can fill it with that which is going to be pure and beneficial and nourishing. So on this journey of hajj, preparing to die, preparing to Leave this dunya, preparing to meet Allah on the day of Yom Al-Qiyamah. We have to empty our hearts with the attachment that we have for the love of this world. And that is why even though, and nowadays all the packages, four star, five star, buffet, all the uh, frills and uh, thrills that, that go along with the packages today. Okay, alhamdulillah. Enjoy the favor of Allah. But don't lose focus of the purpose. That is why when you start coming down, you know, there's a, there's a descent materially. You know, Islam is the opposite. You know, in, in the material world, if you want to be considered to be richer, your bank balance has to go up. If you want to be considered to have more authority, you have to climb the corporate ladder. If you want to consider to be more educated, you have to increase in the number of certificates and degrees that you have. Your degrees have to go up. But when it comes to spirituality... In order to go up, you actually have to go down. In order to go up, you must go down. You must go down materially in terms of attachment or detachment thereof. In order to go up. Just look at the sujood, for example. When you make sujood, you put ashraf al-makan ala jasl insan. You put the most noble part of the human body, the forehead, at the lowest point of your existence. I mean, if you were... Uh, maybe, uh, what's his name? Elon Musk. Huh? Elon Musk. Or what's the other guy? Or Virgin? Uh, Richard Branson. 
And maybe you've now bought a property in Mars, you know, and you're going to live in Mars. If you're going to come back to the dunya, to planet Earth, why is it called the dunya? It's the lowest point of our existence. So wherever you might be coming from outer space, the lowest point of your existence is going to be under your feet. And when you make sujood, you put the noblest part of your body at the lowest point of your existence. And then in that position, what do you say? Subhana Rabbiyal A'la. Glory be to Allah who is the highest. And what position are you in? At the lowest. And then our beloved Prophet says, Aqrabu ma yakun al-abdu ila rabbi wa huwa zajid. The closest that the servant is to his Lord is when he is prostrating. So we get, yes, we get to Medina, and then we go to Makkah, we're in the five-star, we're in the four-star, we're eating from the buffet, and then uh, on the first of Dhul-Hijjah, some of us go to Azizia, where there's like a two-star, you know, because we were with our spouses in the, in the Hilton and the Radisson and the Intercontinental, having a nice uh, ensuite, you know, and a big fancy uh, uh, what they call it, CD posturepedic uh, mattress. And now we're in Azizia, the mattress, uh, and uh, we've got, mashallah, five or six people in one room sharing, sharing one bathroom. So now we've gone from a five star to maybe a two star. And then on the day of the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, we go to Mina. Now there's a hundred people in a tent and one toilet for 400 hujjaj. Now we're at a no star. But we've still got mattresses and air conditioners and the sides of the tents are pulled down. Then we get to Arafah and the sides of the tents are lifted up and there's no mattresses. We're lying on a carpet. Now we're at minus one star. So we're going down. We're going down. And then after we leave Arafah and inshallah Allah has forgiven all our sins. He's looked at us in our kafang that is all dusty and disheveled. Full stuff and dear makkah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bragged to his angels, Ya malaikati, unvuru ila ibadi, atawni shu'atha ghubara. Oh my angels, look at my servants. They've come to me dusty and disheveled. Ushidukum anni qad ghafartu lahum. I take you as my witnesses that I've forgiven them all. And then we leave Arafah how? Man hajja falam yarfuth walam yafsuk kharaja min dhunubihi. Whoever performs hajj without any obscenity, vulgarity, transgression or corruption, they will exit from their sins. They will leave Arafah like the day when their mothers gave birth to them. So we go from that five star, two star, no star, minus one star, and then we get to Muzdalifa and we look up and it's all stars. <laughs> Mashallah, I'm looking at my brother who walked with me in 2008. Allahu Akbar. We got to Muzdalifa. I think we ended up sleeping next to the Phyllis Drum. I'm not joking with you. There was no other place next to the bin. We, I mean, we were so tired and exhausted, we couldn't even smell anything. But subhanallah, lying on Muzdalifa, and Muzdalifa comes from the word Zulfa. Not Auntie Zulfa that lives around the corner. Zulfa means, in Arabic, closeness and nearness. And that is what Muzdalifa is all about. You're the furthest away from the dunya. And you are the closest and nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No more sili posturepedic. No more thinner mattress. No more mina or arafa carpet or whatever you've been lying on before. You are now level medigrevel. So platsus a menorah blade. In actual fact, if you put two menorah blades together, that is the thickness of your mattress on Muzdalifa. And it's at that moment where you truly understand. Lying there, in actual fact, every year 
For the past three years, I have spent the night on Muzdalifa with Dr. Shafiq Ismail. And two years ago, I said to him, Doctor, what does this place look like? What does this place remind you of? And he said, no, I don't know. What, 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 do, we, what do you think? I said, wallah, just look. And all we could see was people lying for as far as the eye could see. I said, this is a maqbara. Looks like a graveyard. The only difference is we are alive, lying on top of the ground and not dead and under the ground. And it's at that moment where we understand the true purpose of hajj. Removing the love and the attachment of the dunya from our hearts. And Arafah being the first day of the rest of our lives, preparing each and every single day with that kafang in mind that we're all going to have to die preparing for our ultimate meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of Yom Al-Qiyam. So Jamaat al my time is up. I wrote a poem, I've, I think I've said it here before, but just as a reminder, I'll say it again. When we greeted the Hujjaj in 2017, I wrote to them and said to them, Assalamu alaikum, O guests of Allah. To you I say, fi amanillah. Remember all the smiles you brought. Remember all the lessons taught. Makkah is your home, my friend, an abode of peace until the end. Round and round the house we went. A spiritual flow from above was sent. As brothers and sisters solidly bound, glorifying the creator in a single sound. Gathered we were from every part, like veins connected to a single heart. Rejuvenated we now return, being conscious of him our highest concern. Expressing our love for every pure soul For that we'll be gathered, that's the ultimate goal The day of the call, where are those who have loved? Come and rest in my shade for my love that you've loved For indeed for that love that you've loved one another I love you my servants for you loved for no other And now we return as a new baby born Purified of sin without any scorn Waiting for the day when to him we shall go For an accepted hajj we shall reap what we sow so let us continue to sow of our gains, preparing our garden that forever remains. I love you, O Muslim, for the sake of Allah. I'll meet you in Jannah, insha'Allah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.